The Cups and Cakes Network presents Inside the Artist Studio. The interview you are about to hear was originally recorded on November 9th, 2019. To find out more about Cups and Cakes, visit them at cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. What you're about to hear may contain filthy language and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Chastity's sophomore album Homemade Satan came out this past September, just in time for the Canadian federal election, as the band's frontman Brandon Williams notes in this interview. It's a deeply political record, and I get Brandon talking about growing up in the suburbs in Whitby, Ontario, and how that's informed both his politics and his songwriting. The rapid fire isn't so rapid this time around, with diversions into the best pit stops on tour, Fiona Apple's social media presence, and nationalized music venues. The track played at the end of the episode is called Sun Poisoning, and it's the fourth track off of their latest record called Homemade Satan. Here's Brandon Williams. I'm Brandon. I write and play, sing in chastity from Whitby, Ontario. Perfect. Who else? Uh, so who else is all in the band? Touring with me right now, Jeremy Ramos Foley on drums, Charlotte Dempsey playing bass, and Jonathan Rogers playing guitar. Okay. Is it like a, like, do you, does it change lineups fairly often or? It's sort of like me and my friends. Yeah, it's sort of a Whitby based project and these opportunities have come and just sort of said yes to like a bunch of stuff and whoever is able to roll in their lives to contribute to this project for sure are kind of welcome to roll as long as they're not weirdos <laughs> yeah it sounded based on i mean the kind of press release stuff that i looked into that a lot of kind of putting the record together was like figuring out who's around and kind of just getting people to do whatever they are able to do yeah yeah well last record was yeah it was a bit different than the first one i've put out two records now and i think well they say you have like your whole life to write your first record and (laughs) it felt like that for deathless the first record and um the second one i was just sort of overflowing with ideas and needed to facilitate building those the homes for these ideas and right. poems mostly and and then carrying on to recording them for sure um and yeah it was uh just done in the same it was done though in the same studio and okay a lot of uh, some like similar personnel but uh again it was me and my friends right they got released pretty close like with within about a year hey yeah just thinking right away. I mean, you guys are here on tour. You did lots of touring between both records. Like, how? How do you find time? Like, how did it come? Kind of come together between both records. I think there felt it felt like there was some urgency on this record. Like, it's a very political record. I wanted to get it out. I think before our federal election in Canada. Right. And. We had been in the States a lot and had been touring in the States and I think just feeling honestly th- sort of threatened by their government a little. You know, it's like right. and feeling threatened by going down that way. Like, K- 
Canada is far from this right. good place, in my opinion. Uh, but it's like so made out to be, especially when you travel even in these like inner cities, right. you see the struggle and the poverty um, firsthand, you know, and um, it felt urgent and I'm putting out a trilogy of records and this was right. the second of three and um, it's sort of been the vision and the label doesn't know this yet, I don't think, <laughs> but it's like sort of been the hope and vision to put them out three years in a row if it's possible. And okay. Um, and then the fire is just under my ass to chase and get it right. and um, put in the work. And, and if it takes 500 hours or whatever to write a record that I'm pleased with, then I need to just right. find those 500 hours for sure and fill that time and that can be over the course of a year or two or whatever and i know that's regular and a fine and good thing for bands to do but right i think for these records at least i want to find those 500 hours right pretty urgently and back to back and i'm also like i feel prepared with lyrics far ahead of writing any sort of uh melody or whatever so um it's just then about tailoring and, um, yeah, working song around these words. So right. Uh, do you do a lot of that writing then on tour, like, or is it kind of just finding a break and then doing like a ton of work at once? Uh, both. Yeah, both. Like, last record, I was reading a book. I, I like thought I was done the record and um, right. like writing lyrics for the record, and I was reading a book. Um, it's like a quarterly magazine. Okay. Um, it's like a thick, it's a book, but it's like, they call it a magazine. It's called laugh M's quarterly about fear. Okay. It's just a, it just takes passages from great writers in history about fear and cuts them into this one yeah. thick ass magazine. <laughs> so, um, I, I spent some time with that book and sort of it shifted and improved, I think, and emboldened a lot of my lyrics and right. uh, stuff was tightened up from there when I thought I was prepared. And I had I had titles for all the songs going into it, mostly. Right. Um, and I did on Deathless, too. Just like, I want these to be the titles. This is the theme. Okay. These are the lyrics, I think, you know, and, and just leaving... I think the trick there is just leaving room for visceral, this sort of mythic thing to happen in the songwriting, right? Where you have to let go a little bit and just let the song develop and do its thing. So that's the sort of battle with yeah, yeah. songwriting, I find, and just allowing the room for hopefully some magic to <laughs> appear or whatever, you know? So Yeah. Uh, um, do you find then that you're like... Uh, so I, I take it, I guess you're doing most of the lyric writing stuff first. Yeah. Uh, is there much thought while you're doing the lyric writing as to like how you want those songs to feel musically? Like, are there kind of cues that you're taking from the words? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think on this record, I knew that it wasn't going to be sort of this yelling bombastic right. thing as much, but that I wanted the lyrics um, to fill that intensity's place. So 
this record is extremely polarizing, I think, politically, and it's pretty blatant politically. It uh, welcomes the sort of threat of um, violence against injustice and right. uh, names certain oppressors. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I think, in my mind, I thought it might be fascinating to just sing those songs sort of lightly. Right. Um, or lighter at least then and there's hard parts on this record i don't think it's i think this record homemade satan the second record still has drive and whatever and it feels fulfilled in that way i think the song spirit meetup in my opinion is a better version of children from the first record and i wanted okay. to write and achieve something on the shoulders of children which was our i suppose our most well-received song last record so okay um but I sort of wanted to give that one platform to sing about London, Ontario, down the road from us about two hours, where allegedly the Klan still meets and oh, far-right groups still meet and restaurant owners post uh, signs with bigotry on them. And right. um, I think I just wanted to sort of give this record more intentional platform. Not that it was unintentional and, and Deathless was largely about um, struggles with health and mental health and right. addiction. And um, But I think this record, I just wanted to speak straight into like neoliberalism, right. you know. How, how do you, I mean, you guys are from Ontario. Uh, how do you feel like those kinds of political things are coming out of like where you're from? How do you mean? I guess it's a question more about how uh, you feel like being from Whitby or being from Ontario has kind of informed that like political message. Yeah. Well, for me, I grew up in a religious conservative family, to be honest. Um, but I grew up in a Whitby is a is is not a suburb of Toronto. It's actually right. a suburb of Oshawa, Ontario. Okay. And Oshawa, my grandparents moved to Oshawa uh, when they were expecting my mom and found work at General Motors, where right. tons, it's tons of family stories in, in my area, you know. Um, it was, it's sort of a union, sort of a NDP right. type riding in Oshawa. And um, I think I had just had some social conscience of people banding together against um, some ruling class maybe in the back yeah. of my mind and um, heard about it a bit in like grade 10 civics class or whatever. I I led a party called the, like the sweet party, socialists wanting everybody equal today because <laughs> we did some quiz and yeah. figured out where <laughs> we found ourselves politically and yeah um but whitby 300 meters from where my parents um from my childhood home from my parents home um which is largely like a just a working class you know they're, they're decent houses not to diss my parents yeah, yeah. houses but they're just a working class homes a few hundred meters up the road is a sprawling massive property that jim flaherty the old finance minister right. of Canada um, owned. And just the irony, I think, of that and this, like, the ruling class up on the mansion on the hill is something I lived with literally 
it just literally hits close to home. Yeah. You know? Um, and then I think I just found it swimming, I was swimming upstream in my city, you know, right. in Whitby. And it was, um, it's largely conservative, largely um, sheltered, uh, ignorant, you know, type of place. So I don't know, it definitely informed, it definitely informed my politics. And sure. I think, it, yeah, I think it challenged, I think my given politics to be honest were conservative um right. and the like gullible like putting tax money back in my pocket or something you know that's what everyone loves in whitby yeah instead i think like all these working class people voting against their own interests you know like uh i think i wanted to go somewhere else instead of that you For know sure. and I, i'm a working person and i'm working you know, and I think it's foolish, and I think everyone's needs need to be looked after. Yeah. It's so simple. So, um, Whitby doesn't seem so concerned with that because it appears maybe from Whitby that everyone's needs are looked after. Right. So, yeah. Uh, what, what do you feel like then, like, uh, as a musician who's writing stuff about that kind of, like, topic, um, what, what do you think your role is in like that kind of discussion? Like, is it just to um, make people aware of those things or? I don't know. I mean, I hope, and I think if it reaches one person and they're, and they are activated uh, by it, then great. But um, I don't know. I'm finding some quiet with political music right now, I think. And I, I'm yeah. finding some priests put out a great um, political record. Um, a few bands have put out political records, but I think to put out some like political sort of pop, like yeah. it's some polit a political record with choruses, you know, I think I just thought, let's do it. Let's use the sophomore slump on a divisive, <laughs> uh, <laughs> political record and it turned yeah. out to be divisive critically and um <laughs> i think it's i i'm proud honestly to have it in my repertoire this sure, this yeah. this you know scathing political record uh, so so going into uh, you had mentioned wanting it to be like a, a trilogy of records uh was that a thing you were thinking of like right off the top like uh kind of starting to write deathlust or yeah yeah i think i saw the weekend do it I saw Adele do it. I think I saw a few artists, um, just great songwriters, really, uh, do it. And I looked up to it. And um, and thematically, I had a thing in mind for a sort of macro idea of of doing it. And I think for me, Chessy isn't like solely. And I don't want to sound like a dank here, but like it's not solely like a music project. It's sort of this like right. multimedia project and, yeah. and video and just media is really important to me. And I think I think the trilogy thing is just sort of if I can pull it off in a non pretentious way, I hope uh, right. I hope it's like a sort of cinematic thing or something, you know, and not cinematic in the sense that 
in cinema maybe by the third one that's shit (laughs) (laughs) but just in a way of storytelling and and character and being able to develop a character and uh concept record then um yeah i just sort of wanted to get after that and and build a trilogy out and um and little things just you know, I love the little nuance of Frank Ocean or whatever, and he's yeah, able yeah. to implant so much personality into the songs and, and so much personality and intention into uh, the art he makes. And like Deathlust has Gold's like foil uh, embedded in the vinyl. <laughs> cool. And Homemade Saint has silver. Oh, okay. So the next one, you get what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Will it be bronze? So it's, I think stuff like that along the way, it's like, um, kind of like sort little breadcrumbs, right? I think, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been the plan, and um, yeah, I'm just sort of like obsessed with stuff in detail and making things tight and intentional, and right. in my personal life too, to be honest. And yeah, yeah. and so in this as well. Uh, with the like talking about writing music like cinematically or or visually uh, is that then too like because uh, it's easy to see the connection between like having lyrical ideas and like seeing those and seeing what those things are talking about uh, do you think about that with the music too like the actual musical component how that's supposed to like look if you know what i mean for sure yeah oh for sure i think it's almost like scoring in a way and picturing videos and sort of scoring music around them i've definitely done that um with the children music video especially there's a trial happening in whitby right now um for a boy named defonte miller um who got chased and beat by two loser brothers in Whitby on the street where my aunt used to live Um, and that video and that song is sort of for DeFonte and basically um, sort of targeting those brothers you know and um, it's a song for my community it's it's a song for the safety of my community especially for racialized people in my community um and the video depicted that. Yeah. Um, so I think it is, yeah, if it's able to score. Again, though, I think I want to leave enough room and leave enough um, safety for, and, and and visceral distance to allow some emotional spill just to happen naturally with the songs though as right. well, you know? Do you set out then, like, do you think I want to write a tune about this thing that's happening and then you kind of set out and do that or do you just kind of write and then you kind of figure out where you're headed later initially yeah no initially it's like i just spill it into my phone or into some notebook or whatever largely my phone i've got i've just got notes and notes and notes of nonsense really and then (laughs) you know i just pull her out like i've got a ton a ton of ideas that i Paul. <laughs> so, yeah, I and then I start to organize. I think from this spill, right, and somehow try to contain it in some sort of form that makes sense. Um, 
And I think in the process of forming and organizing, it sort of triggers other stuff. And oh, right. and then I just get, and then I just have to put on some sort of concentration music and focus. And I think there comes a set of lyrics right. sometimes. And then sometimes it just happens and I can, and I write a full thing on the spot or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to say, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's always a blend between a bunch of different kind of approaches, right? Things come out in different ways. Totally, yeah. Uh, we're pretty much at the end of the normal interview part. Uh, gonna move on to some rapid fire stuff. Sure. Uh, I should pull up this list of questions because I sure don't remember these. Uh, they're pretty light. Here we go. Uh, cake versus pie. Cake. Good answer. Uh, favorite season of the year? Fall. Yeah, and... <laughs> Today's a hard day to say winter, I think. Yes. Uh, lots of snow. Uh, coffee or tea? I don't drink caffeine, so okay. maybe a, a herbal tea. Okay. Why, uh, out of curiosity, why no uh, caffeine? I stopped about three years ago when I think I was like, why is my mind moving faster than my body? Like in sort of a twirling anxiousness. And right. I think um, a therapist actually said to me, well, have you considered uh, quitting caffeine? I said no. And then it was just sort of explained to me the, the stimulant that it is, really, the drug right. that it is. And I think I was, it's helped. And I think I feel just like more grounded by not. Okay. I'm sorry, I, I thought these were going to oh, be no. light. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fault. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Though. I mean, it makes sense. I had the realization like a month or two ago, it's just like, yeah. If you have like a large, large, large like amount of like soda at lunch, it's like three o'clock every day. I'm exhausted. Yes. Yeah, and that's the thing I think with caffeine, it's not you get energy from sleep or from good food or exercise. Right. And caffeine is just a it's just like a sort of early withdrawal of that right. energy and then you eventually crash, you know, if you take it out and uh You've only got 100% energy, maybe when you wake up or have, or after you have breakfast or whatever, and then yeah, yeah. or have a meal, and then it, you're depleting this energy. And, and caffeine is just—it doesn't give you any energy. It just yeah withdraws it from this. Okay, that's a good way tank. of thinking about it, actually. Yeah, so I'm like, ah, I'll just maybe look for energy in different ways if yeah. I can. Sleep. Um. Yeah, I sleep a ton, so that's the <laughs> yeah yeah uh, first car. The van that we drive, oh, the van, nice. yeah. What is it like a like a big like panel van type thing or like a minivan? It's like a 15 passenger oh, Ford okay. E350. Oh, okay. You probably know what that is from Saskatchewan. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> uh, weirdest job you've ever had? Um, I was a timekeeper at a at a hockey arena, Iroquois Park in Whitby, Ontario. It was six hockey arenas in one building. Um, bad, bad energy. I, I, I back then I, I was wearing very tight, sometimes pink pants, um, which was fine. And in retrospect, very cool. And it's all right, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't received so well with sort of some of the hockey players, the hockey folks. Eh? Yeah. So a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of homophobia it turns out harbored in 
Yeah. Those arenas. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> so timekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do as a timekeeper? Like, it, like just like run like scoreboard yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it's basically record the penalties that these hockey players get, and I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie you've seen recently, or not recently, either or. Well, we just watched Fubar. <laughs> uh, Sick. And some of the parts didn't date so well, and yeah. I'm sure the Diener and Terry would agree. But um, <laughs> yeah, Fubar is great. Some of my band hadn't seen it, and we all said, "Oh yeah, there's a." For in the mockumentary category, I think yeah. it's a great like it's a pitchfork nine in my opinion. It's <laughs> solid. Uh, it's Canadian, right? It is. Yeah, yeah, from Calgary, from Alberta. Oh shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. I, th- I saw it like years and years ago. Check it out again. Yeah, I should watch it yeah. again. Uh, favorite uh, favorite place to stop on tour, like not city, but like favorite uh, pit stop. Uh, we often call Chipotle and ask for, we have like a little trick and ask for free stuff and, <laughs> and around 25% of the time it works Yeah. and we really love Chipotle. There's, there's several different diets in the band and yeah. they can serve vegan, they can serve whatever, you know? So, um, I'd say Chipotle is number one, at least in the States. Uh, there's a place called Greg's in the UK. I'm in a I'm in a Facebook group about it's like called Nationalized Greg's Service, and <laughs> it calls for Jeremy Corbyn to nationalize. <laughs> it's a it's like a pastry yeah. <laughs> spot in the UK, and um, it says that like I don't even know how to say it, but it's like Pret a Manger or something. It's like for Tories, <laughs> and Greg's is for lefties, I guess, and. Uh. So we like to support when we're in England yeah. and show our support for the <laughs> nationalization of Greg's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then in Canada, there's A&W everywhere, it turns out. Yeah. Um, we stopped at this, like, very, you know, donut mill in oh, yeah. Red Deer? Yeah. So we stopped at donut mill today. As it turns out, there's an A&W directly next door. We got a bunch of donuts, <laughs> but then all ended up yeah. for our fourth time on this Canadian leg at A&W. Yeah. And we each got a meal. I didn't realize all the NWs in Canada are like owned by employees. Like they're all owned by the managers for each individual. Location. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I guess wow. I, I guess at one point they went bankrupt in the states, and then they bought like man. I don't know. The managers it's like here worker, bought the chain. I guess it's somewhat worker owned if there's manager on. Yeah, I don't really fully. I heard that it was cheap for a franchise and that they were targeting young franchise owners as well. Like, but yeah, it's interesting. A&W, repping A&W. Yeah. If you could meet and like have a chat with like anyone in history, who would it be? Oh, maybe Fiona Apple or... In history? Yeah. Or alive or dead or alive? Yeah, dead or alive. Uh, Fiona Apple. Yeah, nice. Man, I just, I listened to all of her stuff for the first time this year, the beginning of this year. It's like pretty stunning. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I've said visceral so many times on this, but I think that's like the, one of the sharpest examples of 
a visceral fuck you, like <laughs> lyrically especially. Yeah. Um, just allows a spill, but it controls it in such a simple and profound way. Sometimes not simple, but so profound. And um, I think the perspective of a songwriter like that would be so interesting to hear from it's kind of you know? pull apart yeah uh, yeah there's a great series of videos of her on youtube yeah where i think it's just that she like has a friend of hers over and they kind of chat and they're clearly both like super baked mm-hmm. uh they're great yeah she like talks really eloquently about kind of what she does yeah yeah it's unreal and and fiona apple ig on instagram which is not her she doesn't have an instagram they repost those as well oh, and she okay. yeah cool. she's like in yeah she's like at home sitting on her like piano bench or whatever yeah. like talking <laughs> with her power yeah yeah she's great uh last thing you ate those carrots and um whatever's over there <laughs> shout out craig the yeah. promoter tonight for the carrots yeah here i guess we haven't mentioned it yet at the rec room at south edmonton common i guess yeah are there rec rooms across the country i know there's one in calgary too but i believe so i think we were introduced to it by a friend mark pesci a great promoter in toronto um and after that people were talking some shit on rec room and um and i think i needed to go check it for myself and i quite like it i think it's um i mean it's all ages and it's a great alternative to just like a bar model music venue or an alcohol sales based music venue especially 18 plus or or 19 plus depending on the on the province and um i quite like it i've i was just talking to craig uh downstairs and maybe uh stubbornly and and short-sightedly compared it there's there's like state-run venues and you know in belgium and sweden and um that the government runs and we've we played one in antwerp and we got there like 20 kids there must have been 20 people working and um and i sort of said like what's going on here like and and wondered if they were volunteering or i said no this is our this is our job and, and sort of explained to me this, this government venue essentially yeah. and, and, um, and culture being of value to the, yeah their country, you know? So <laughs> I think, I think in Canada and Craig was telling me, I got to get in touch with the Grundy brothers, mutual friends of ours and talk about this venue called the pavilion and, Halifax. I'm just trying to learn about these other venues, but um, Rec Room, as far as I can see, feels like the closest thing to Tricks in Belgium or the Reno, uh, uh, the Holland Project in Reno, Nevada, which is a municipally funded venue. It's this is a corporate ass venue, but um, it's. I think the vision is decent and and provides an arcade instead of right. just like a dark bar you know it's like it's yeah, like yeah. an arcade based venue i think it's great and it's uh great to it's artists it seems great from almost everybody i've spoken with um almost everybody 
Craig and Mark have spoken yeah. with, it sounds like two other than those that feel that the Mario Kart is cramping their, <laughs> you know, style yeah. or something. So um, I think it's good. I think I think that being said, I would love to figure out some some uh, communication at least with um, municipalities or my municipality yeah. in Whitby um, to try to figure out some more city run or, or, or province run or federal right. well, venue yeah, spaces. It's, it's funny, it seems so crazy um, in North America for some reason that the government would pay to have bands and music and pay for a space for that to happen. But it's like, yeah, it makes sense. And they do, uh, honestly they do and they help with recording. Right. I think the vision would be that, um, especially kids that can't afford instruments, right, right would have a a spot to come and, and play and um, we could call on Fender or whatever. You know, I right. see Fender <laughs> and not, uh, they, they give out instruments anyways yeah, to yeah. artists, you know, um, not to be entitled to their program and I'm sure they have some process and, uh, yeah. but I think, you know, if we can find some donation um, and some sort of funding for for that, then maybe kids could get together and learn and meet like-minded people. You know, if for you don't sure, play yeah. hockey in Whitby, for example, I at least felt a little bit off of my own. Um, yeah. And there was no common space for the community that I hope to be a part of, um, aside from maybe the skate park or something. So, right. um, I think the vision, I think it's like, there's so many things that I, that I've got ideas that I've largely taken from other places, um, but imagine having rehearsal spaces for these yeah, yeah. these kids, and um, and then having a screen and, and having wall space that visual art could be shown, and having a stage and and just a PA and some yeah, space, yeah. and um, I think it's of value to some old head politicians. I hope, <laughs> and I I hope I don't know. It's a project in my mind, you know, of like, uh, and I, I know it's a project like on the hearts of other musicians and, and promoters and people like non-dickhead types in the industry <laughs> to see that through and especially in sort of a crippling, trippy sort of like rock genre in right. the music industry right now. It's like, I think you need to like, care for this right. group of you know mohawk wearing <laughs> slayer shirt wearing kids yeah, yeah. you know it's like i think it, it it needs some more attention that um it's not being given and needs community space right uh rapid fire shit <laughs> um what is uh? My bad. <laughs> oh, no worries. Um, what is like your fantasy lineup for a show? Just like any band, uh, just greatest show you could ever go see. What would it be? I love the band Copeland to see them live. I saw the Smashing Pumpkins, and that was wild. I'm like lineup of, yeah. of of like a bill. Yeah, like I guess like band and an opener maybe. Well. Refused are going on tour with Mets. 
Okay, that's cool. That seems quite ultimate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's in real life. I'm trying to think. Top of mind, My Chemical Romance is back. I'm trying to. I was just trying to think of who I could see oh, yeah. opening for them. Maybe. I don't know. Shit, maybe us. <laughs> I don't that segues know. Segues <laughs> well into the next question, which is. <laughs> If you could open for any band, who would that be? Well, I would love that. I just said to somebody, I was just like, yeah, I just said to somebody, could you imagine? Like, I, yeah, it's not real. It's not. But uh, I think Refused, I mean, there's Refused, especially on Deathlust. It's all over oh, yeah. Deathlust. Influence-wise, we kind of wore it on our sleeve with Chains and a few of those songs. Um yeah, I feel like I felt very, very lucky to have played with so many bands that we've played with, and it's yeah, yeah. surreal. And this project started singing Whitby's song, you know, and it's going to end that way, I hope. And so right. any opportunity to play with anybody, I'm so wide-eyed at and grateful for, um, because it's just, this is like a Whitby project, and now for to sure. play these other Whitby's or whatever... Um, or to represent Whitby in these other cities and towns and places we go, it's a gift. So, um, shit, I don't know. Maybe I'm just <laughs> buying time. I can't think of who we'd play with. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. I gotcha. Uh, very last one then. Uh, speaking of Whitby, uh, are there uh, kind of like local bands or like recommendations for groups to check out from? around Whitby or just uh, yeah wherever around there yes um, well there's a band from Oshawa Ontario right next door that we just played with called Mary and Adelaide oh, okay. um, uh, they're a great catchy catchy emo sort of or emotional lyrics anyway type of band with great choruses and uh, a band called Wooly that we just played with uh, from Whitby. Um, there's a band called Iris. Uh, Scott plays in Chastity often. Um, okay. Plays with our friend Nicole Dollenganger. Um, they're about to drop a record in this month. I think next week, actually, on the 15th. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's actually going to be the day this comes out, likely. Sick. So. Yeah, cool. so check Ch out Iris. Check and, yeah, there's and, and a band Millspec, it's a hardcore punk band. Dan and Jacob are from Whitby. Um, there's a lot. There's, uh, but there could be more. You know, <laughs> then there could be more. And yeah, and Irish sure. should put Whitby on their Bandcamp, and so should Millspec. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think the majority of Millspec is from there, but yeah. Uh, perfect. Well, that's kind of the end of things here. Uh, normally, we wrap things up by playing uh, playing a track. Uh, is there something off of Homemade Satan you want to play? Any of the songs will do. Uh, maybe the last song is Strife. Maybe okay. Strife or Sun Poisoning or whichever. Cool. We'll, we'll go with one of those yeah. too then, I suppose. Uh, thanks so much for chatting with me, man. Thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time out post-soundcheck pre-show. Yes. Uh, have a good show. Thank you for coming and, and for coming in the middle of this blizzard. <laughs> I appreciate it.
Cups and Cakes Presents is produced by Sean Newton. The featured track was played with permission from Chastity. Undercurrents from Atlantis Jazz Ensemble's album Oceanic Suite is the background music throughout the entire episode. Oceanic Suite is available through Ottawa's Marlowe Records. Find out more at marlowrecords.com. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.